getting ready before celebrating Jesus' birth. During this time, we reset our hearts and live to receive our King and Savior. At Horizons this year, we are specifically focusing on how worthy Jesus is of our attention, worship, and following. This second Sunday, our focus is on preparation, and we light the preparation candle. That might sound like a strange name for a candle, but it reminds us to prepare our hearts for Jesus' birth. Otherwise, we might miss the true meaning of His coming. The prophet Isaiah said to the people hundreds of years before Jesus came, Listen, it's the voice of some shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through a wasteland for our God. Fill the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out all the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. It took God's people hundreds of years to finally get their road cleared. What do you have in your life that you need to get out of the way? What potholes and speed bumps need to be addressed? Hopefully it won't take you a hundred years. Take the time this week to look at your life and think about what most stops Jesus' worthy message of getting to the center of your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for bringing him to us to exactly how and when you did. We don't want to keep you far away from our hearts. Help us see what is in our hearts and lives and busy schedules need to be cleared so we might truly see how worthy you are. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen.
All right, I am Pastor Jason. To those of you who may be new with us this morning, whether you're online worshiping with us or in person, if you are new, I want to welcome you and celebrate you and also just celebrate the community, the family that God has really kind of crafted together in the people of Horizons and all of you. So um, awesome. Now, a couple things you need to know this morning is that... Um, no, uh, the Horizons parking lot is not a place to practice your speed course driving. And yes, someone did run into one of our entryway signs. <laughs> um, I'm well aware of that. We're, we're working on it. And, uh, you know, I think um, it's not really a big deal. Um, and the opportunity I'm just hoping for is, a, is an opportunity to, to actually present the church to the, the folks that ran into the pillar and, and, um, and have a conversation where they actually get to um, interact with church in just a really holy way. And who knows what story we could be telling about that. So, um, yeah, always a surprise around the corner here at Horizons. And so, um, good stuff. Hey, so um, on your seats and as you came in and online, there's this card that's inviting you to join a life group. And in this season, if you're like me and my wife and it, living in our home, um, we would probably, if we weren't already in an incredible, incredible life group, and I just thumbs up and shout out to them today, um, we would be like, it's, it's Christmas, and you want us to sign up for a life group? Um, but what we also know is that um, in January, when you actually, your hearts, our hearts are open for new things, if we don't kind of get a run in at this, um, January just goes like that before the waves start coming. So what we want to do is invite you to consider in this season um, getting into a life group if you are not in one or if you are, uh, if your your other one has um, has kind of moved on. Um, and, and this would be in January, but to, to kind of point toward that now and start that conversation. So um, you can go on to the website and find Connect. You can also check out this card if you're here in person. And we really, it, it, I can attest to the fact that um, as a person of Horizons, that my life group is one of the, the like the foundational parts of my church experience. Because um, like going to church and not being in a life group is like paying for a gym membership only to use the treadmill. I mean, think about that for a second. Very good. All right. So Christmas is coming. Also, we have a vision around Christmas to welcome people and embrace them into uh, the story of Jesus and the bigger story of God. And so um, on that Christmas Eve, we are inviting those of you who are catching this vision about um, it being an opportunity to welcome people in and really uh, give them an introduction to who Jesus is. And so if you are interested and have that vision to be on one of our welcome teams to just welcome people in or even to serve in our uh, nursery so that way people can bring their children and feel comfortable. We would love to hear from you. And um, so just let us know. You can text that number that we put on the screen. It's 402-512-5700. And, uh, and, and I'll celebrate that you are uh, in on that vision and, and get that because that is so important to the kingdom. So um, this morning is, we're, we're continuing in our series 
called worthy. And really, this whole series is pointed towards us remembering and maybe like seeing and revealing in new ways the worthiness of Jesus. Specifically in this Advent and Christmas season, seeing um, why, when, and how he came when he did and what God was doing behind that. And, um, and remembering and renewing in our lives that Jesus is truly worthy. He's worthy of our time. He's worthy of our attention and, and uh, putting as a top priority and uh, of our worship, our devotion, and following, actually becoming more like him through this sweet surrender. And um, this might seem like no-brainers, but sometimes when we look self-reflectively at our lives, the choices we're making with our time and our resources might indicate that it, that Jesus may not be worthy of that, and I'm and I'm saying that because I have looked at my own life and seen that. So we're diving into worthy, and this morning we are diving into um, this beautiful portion of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, because we're going all the way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we are almost done with every single verse in in Matthew's Gospel. And so the Sermon on the Mount was um, it, it was probably not just a single sermon, um, but at one point it was memorable that Jesus went up on a high place and people gathered around to hear this message of these things that Jesus said often. In fact, they're, they're some of the things that have truly made Jesus famous, the things in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's Gospel 5 through 7 is a good collection of these things. And so um, today we're going to be digging into Matthew's Gospel chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, 16 through 18. Now you can follow along on your version app on your phone, and you can just click on more or the three little dots on the bottom and then find events, and you'll see horizons there. Um, but so here we go with this beautiful teaching from Jesus. He says, be careful, dear friends, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce with a trumpet, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So, your giving may be in secret. Then, your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then skipping um, up here to verse 16, when you fast, do not, look as, uh, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will be uh, obvious, so, so it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret and will reward you. All right, so that's our teaching this morning. And um, typically when we roll through the Sermon on the Mount, we immediately kind of jump into the lesson, the moral of the story. So, you know, um, this is what we need to do because of it. But because of the context of this series and our pointing our attention to Jesus Christ as the focal point of our, uh, of our focus and our attention this morning, um, we're, we're going we're gonna to save the lesson and look at the teacher for a moment. Because I tell you what, and teachers among us, you know this, you can tell a lot about the teacher by what the teacher teaches and how. 
So really what we see is not just a lesson, but we see someone uh, in the form of Jesus who was representing and embodying this incredible new and big and different thing. And ultimately what Jesus was getting at here and what he lived in in his ministry was that um, the work he came to do and the person that he was and the God that filled him and was present in the flesh in him, that it was not about him. That Jesus' ministry was never about pointing people towards himself. It was never about Jesus' um, own recognition or his own importance or his own self-glory. Now that might seem a little bit weird. I mean, this is, this is God in the flesh, and so why not? But Jesus had um, a bigger direction and was wanting to teach and embody a bigger and more important, richer reward. So um, if, you're, if you're not quite sure you're with me, let me just kind of point out some of the finer details of Jesus' ministry and this baffling, when you read it in, in isolation, this baffling response that Jesus goes through again and again. Now, Mark's gospel is probably the most um, honest. It's the shortest, and Mark's just like, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I'm just going to lay it out there and just put it, there it is, you know. So in Mark's gospel, there are three accounts of healing. One, um, a leper. Two, someone who could not hear or see. And three, someone um, who could not walk. And um, in every situation, Jesus heals them. And the thing that he says, and it's so baffling, he says, don't tell anyone this happened. And you're like, well, that's anti-evangelist, right? Like, <clears throat> Jesus, isn't that your point? Um, furthermore, um, when the disciples are around Jesus and Jesus finally kind of coaxes it out of Peter that he's the Messiah and Peter's like, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, yeah, you got it. And on this rock, the church will be built, Peter. And then he says, but let's keep it quiet. Don't go, don't go telling this to everyone. Um, there's another time when the rich young ruler, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, approaches Jesus and says, good teacher, tell me. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? You know, only the Father in heaven is good. And, and I don't, we're reading it and we're like, because you're Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus is deflecting here and he's like, don't call me good. Um, in addition to that, then um, the transfiguration where Jesus, Peter, James, and Paul, uh, no, that's um, different uh, group. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyhow, some of the disciples go up with Jesus and Jesus, you know, um, kind of transfigures and he comes back down. Even then he says, now nah, don't tell anyone what you saw until later. Okay. All right. Um, and then there are 11 accounts in Jesus' gospel where he is healing and he's done miraculous things and the crowds start to swell and really start to lean in like they're sold out. And Jesus intentionally withdraws. He goes and prays. He goes to the next city. He goes into the house. He goes, um, he continually, at the moment where this thing is like, boom, we made it. We've got a following. This thing's going viral. Jesus pulls away. He pulls away. So what you see through all of these things is that Jesus truly um, was not leading a ministry that was about him. There was, there was no point in him drawing people to the, the, the person that he was. 
There's something bigger going on here. Um, even in uh, Philippians, Paul, uh, you know, he testifies to this in chapter 2, and he says, you know, like, this is the example that we follow, the one of Jesus who, um, who though he was, like, completely God in the flesh and full of power, like, stepped aside from all of those things to become like us and a, and a servant uh, to, to everyone in full humility. And, and that was really what Jesus was doing. Now, this is important on its own, but it's also important in contrast to the culture, to the society around them. Probably evidenced none better than by the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, was this other culture about bringing in the self-glory. Now, this was a culture where um, especially the Jewish folks were working incredibly hard to achieve the points of the law put forth in the Torah and the commandments of the Old Testament. And they're, they're putting it forward, the original covenant, and they are working hard. And every time they would get to another uh, achievement, it was, this, it was literally a recognition of people that would stand up. And Jesus says, don't blow your trumpet in the synagogue. And that was actually like short of actually grabbing the ram's horn. Like they were like, I got it. I did it. And the whole thing was that especially the teachers of the law and those in power would announce how good they were doing and how well they were achieving on the marks. And it was always in comparison to others who were not achieving. A way to self-elevate, to bring self-glory. So this was in deep contrast to the, the, the norms of the society, of what everyone was really doing and believed that they should do even under the guise of the one and only God, of pointing themselves in a holy and righteous way. But they thought that that's what they really needed to do. And it was, and it was pretty rewarding to them when they got it right. But, um, but, but you see in Jesus' teaching and his approach this incredible worthiness. You see, Jesus wasn't trying to start a new trend. He wasn't trying to throw out something really catchy and popular that would drive droves to him. Jesus was starting a movement. It was, it was a movement and a trend is really cool and doesn't have a lot of content to it and then eventually fades away. A movement is something that changes the course of history permanently. Jesus knew that it wasn't about him going viral. Okay? It wasn't about how many likes he could collect or how many followers he could gain or, you know, or how many views he could receive. Um, I'm translating, you know, back into the day where there wasn't any of that. It wasn't about that. It was not about going viral. It was about going internal. It's about going internal. When Jesus would heal someone and tell them, don't go tell anyone, it's because it wasn't about this, this big, you know, like frenzy of miracle or trend. It was about what would happen in that one person's heart. And how over time, the change, the seed that was planted in that heart would then begin to affect the world in real 
in honest and powerful ways. He wasn't trying to go viral. He wasn't trying to get world fame or accomplish a world fame. Um, He knew all that would come, but it wasn't the object of his pursuit. Instead, it was life change. He wasn't getting people just to like him. He was getting people to surrender. You see, ultimately, Jesus knew that um, real change would never be accomplished through popularity, but instead through familiarity. And it wasn't about how much people liked him. It was about how much people knew who he was and what he represented. And so the teaching that Jesus taught is the same one that he embodied and lived by is the same one that sets up this incredibly new and powerful and different way for those in his time to live and us in our time to live. Because Jesus knew at the heart of this, if we would accept this teaching, not only as he taught it in Matthew's, in, in, recorded in Matthew's gospel, but also as he lived it, that we would find freedom. And I mean big, powerful, life-giving, impossible freedom. Both freedom from and also freedom for. See, Jesus knew that, um, that the ego was a powerful master. And he wanted to set us free from our egos and set us free for a greater reward. As he mentions in those two teachings at least three times, there's a greater reward. There's a greater reward. Because Jesus knew that, uh, that while we uh, like to kind of get recognition and make ourselves feel important and, um, and also kind of get some self-glory. By the way, you know what I'm talking about because that's why Facebook, so, all of these places exist. These social media platforms exist, right? Because um, it's, it's bringing attention to ourselves, like we wake up in the morning believing that other people are waking up in the morning and getting their phone and be like, oh my gosh, I need to see what they did last night, right? Right? Like I was uh, hanging around, like it was a random moment. Right? We were in a crowd around Thanksgiving and I heard, oh no, we were at the playground. That's it. And I heard these two gals talking and one said, oh, you guys went and looked at, you know, got trees. And the other guy says, oh yeah, but I haven't posted on Facebook yet. <sighs> like if we don't post it, it doesn't happen. Right? Uh, and so we know what, what we're talking about here. We know what Jesus was getting at about this self-recognition and this, this kind of bringing self-glory. But we, Jesus knew, and is trying to teach us here, that when it comes to, those, to the, kind of that, that recognition and that bringing glory to ourselves or attention to ourselves, is that one, it's, it's really short-lasting. It's a high that's there and then needs fed again. Also, it's a high that gets us pretty high, but not ever as high as the first time. And I'm talking about real terms here. So, um, and, and also, Jesus knew that this kind of high would be one that would turn around and begin to possess us as a slave to it as master that we would become slave to needing this and pursuing it and, and putting it as the, the highest pursuit in our lives. So Jesus ultimately was not just trying to get us to be meek and mild Christians and neat and pious and you know not tell anyone when we do something nice, but 
ultimately to beyond that to set us free. Because nobody loves an annoying Christian, but beyond that, um, we, we want to be free. And when we see someone who is following Christ and is free, that's, it, it draws us in. We want that. So that's ultimately what Jesus was getting at. And, um, and you can kind of see where he's, uh, what, he's, what he's getting at. See, if, if you look at verse 1 again of chapter 6 here, Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, this sounds like a pretty good like moralistic warning and also a threat, right? Like, if you do this, like, like heaven's going to shut its doors and kick you out. Boom. Um, but ultimately, what Jesus is saying is, be careful not to let your greatest pursuit become one of, of, of doing things to draw attention to yourself or to elevate yourself above others or just in public scenes. Like, be careful not to let that be your, your highest pursuit. This is like, you know, it's going to be easy to fall into that trap. Like everyone, you know, the, the culture around us is doing that, Jesus is saying. But so be careful too. And then he's saying, because if you do, um, you'll have no reward in heaven. Now, that sounds pretty, you know, like straightforward and like, you know, that's your punishment. But ultimately what Jesus is saying is that if your highest pursuit is self-recognition, is self-glory, is self-importance, then when you get to heaven, you're going to be really disappointed because the reward of heaven is not that. And you're going to get to heaven and you're going to be like, ha, enters me, the greatest Christian to live. And everyone's going to be like, meh. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, you're as great as everyone else around here. I mean, actually, you're, you know, <laughs> if you really want to add up here, uh, Jesus is saying that uh, essentially, like, if that's, if that's what we're going after and saying that's the best that we can experience, then, then you, you're going to not be open to the reward that God wants us to have. So ultimately, Jesus is, is teaching this. He's embodying this, and he's putting it forward for us to accept and showing us his worthiness, ultimately, that we might be free, that we might capture this, this greatest thing, this freedom from our ego and freedom free for the greater reward. Summing it up, ultimately, this is Jesus' lesson then, is that the most rewarding reward from your works is the good accomplished and the God who becomes near. Now, hold, we're going to hold on to this real quick here. See, after Jesus goes through verse 1 and says, hey, be careful, um, you, you'll, you'll miss heaven's reward if you fall into that trap. Then he goes on and he names, if you notice, he names giving and fasting. And to us, that might seem a little bit arbitrary, but it was later coined, later coined to help um, a human brain kind of make sense and categorize things. Later coined as um, the, the two means of grace. And I'm taking you into kind of United Methodist Theology 101 here. Means of grace were the things that we do in our faith lives in order to experience or witness or capture the grace of God. 
Not to get acceptance or salvation or any of those things, but this is part of our lives in salvation that we see grace in these ways. And the means of grace were one, works of, of mercy, okay? Works of mercy were all these things that we do for other people um, to follow in the ways of Jesus. And the other was works of piety, and these were all the things that we do to draw near to God in relationship, not seeking rewards or anything, but in relationship. So Jesus essentially in two swoops nails both of these things and is ultimately saying that no matter what you do, whether you are doing it for someone else or you're doing it for the sake of your relationship with God, no matter the activity of your faith, the works that you do, and this is not works-based theology, this is us participating in our faith and our growth, and it's different because we're not seeking your reward. Um, the, the, no matter what you're doing, the works that you do will be most rewarding and satisfying to you when you see the good they accomplish and when you encounter the God who becomes nearer. See, that's the reward that Jesus is trying to free us up from, to take our eyes off of our self-grandiose uh, notions and to point them towards seeing the good that happens and seeing the God who becomes clear and near. This is what it's all about for us, and it's an invitation for us as it was an invitation when Jesus first spoke these words for us to consider what it means in our life, whether we are social uh, platform fanatics or not, the ways that we are motivated to serve others and to uh, continue to approach our God. Why are we doing it? What does it matter to us, what does it matter to others? It's a worthy message because can you imagine if Jesus was constantly saying, ah, okay, disciples, okay, okay, here comes a crowd. Now let's stage this thing where uh, I'm going to heal you and then you're all going to shout and, and like, you're like, ah, he's healed. And then that crowd's going to come over here and then we're going to hand out popsicles and tell everyone to go tell someone else. Like, like, like Jesus would have been a little bit annoying, but instead it was always about the greater thing and the good of God and the good of God for other people. You see, Jesus actually lived into this freedom, into this lesson to the point of dying on the cross. That it was so important to him that people see it and encounter it and taste it for themselves. That it was not about him. It was about his Father in heaven and pointing towards his glory. And so that night, then Jesus gathered his disciples before his own death, before the giving of his own body, and he lifted up that bread and that juice as a sign of his brokenness and a sign of his blood pouring out to wash over us and, and accomplish righteousness within us. So as we celebrate communion today, 
I want to invite you to, uh, if you haven't gotten your, your cup of juice and your wafer in the back of the worship center, um, to get it now. We're not going to eat it or drink it until we do that together in just a moment, but you can get that ready, or you can uh, run real quick to your kitchen uh, and, and grab some things if you're worshiping with us online. But we are reminded that Jesus took and he lifted up that bread and he gave thanks for it and then he broke it. And it's, it's not only a reminder that it's broken so as to be distributed, but it's broken for a really important reason. Jesus broke the bread to say, listen, your brokenness should not be your shame. Your brokenness is, is, is your opportunity. Your brokenness is your first step towards wholeness. Because if we're not broken, then we're not open. And if we're not open, how can we receive? So Jesus said, be broken like me. It's okay. Let go. And then additionally, as Jesus lifted up the cup and then said, take and drink, giving thanks for it, it was poured out into that cup as Jesus would be poured out. Letting all of him be all for us, to wash us new to take our sins, to take the things that we have built up around ourselves and to just let them wash away, to give us a second chance, to give us clarity to see, to give us desire to, to, uh, to follow him in a different way. So this for us today is an opportunity to be broken and an opportunity to be washed clean. This is a day for us to reorient our, our eyes, to renew our acceptance and our surrender to Jesus as Lord and King and friend, to once again receive the freedom that he came to offer. So Lord, we ask that this body, this bread becomes your body and this juice for us, your blood. I invite you to take and eat of the body of Christ, the bread of life, broken for you and your brokenness that you might find wholeness. Take, eat, and do so in remembrance of him. And I invite you to take of his cup, his new covenant, saying simply believe, receive, surrender, and let me wash over you to take, to drink, and do so in remembrance of him. Lord God, we pray that you truly make for us this bread, your body, this juice, your blood, that it becomes holy and powerful in our lives and that we become broken, surrendered, and open to you. That you, through your spirit, might accomplish mighty things in us. We thank you for your gifts, your sacrifice, your love, and your teaching that lives on in incredible strength today. 
And Lord, as we draw together as your body today, we pray your prayer that you taught us to pray by saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.